This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 31 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, back with you after a couple weeks off, and I know Jordan and James locked this thing down for a couple weeks and a couple of wild weeks for the Giants, including a loss in New Orleans. We're all back together now after what was a big victory for the Giants, 32-18 to 18 down in Tampa. Both Jordan and James were there, so we're going to bring them in here. Uh, they're traveling back from Tampa to come back up north for what should be a big game next week with the Giants uh, and the Patriots. We'll get to all that, but JPP's return, a big win in Tampa, headline this show, this episode. Jordan, we'll start with you. Um, that was a big one for the Giants, and, and obviously it was bigger than just the win because they bring back their best defensive player. Yeah, well, I'm not sure if he's their best defensive player right now. He was their best defensive player. We'll have to see about that and whether he's going to be. But yeah, it was big. I mean, you saw the effect it had late in the game. JPP gets two pressures on Jameis Winston, flushes him out of the pocket, flushes him right. Two incompletions. Giants really, at that point, just need to make one one play, one stop on a third and long. They get it done. They get the punt back, and they're able to hold on this time. They, they didn't exactly close the game out, which they were hoping to do, but at the same time, if they used up enough time on the clock, they kicked the field goal, they were up by more than one score. I mean, they were, they were up by more than a field goal. It was enough where with 18 seconds or 28 seconds, whatever it was, from their own 15-yard line, the bus needed to score a touchdown. It was really unrealistic and never really had a chance of happening. In fact, the Giants scored a touchdown instead of the Bucks, and then strangely took a knee on, kneeled on the ball to end the game, which you don't see very often. But a good victory, a win is a win is a win, is what Odell Beckham, as how Odell Beckham described it. And it's really hard to argue with that. First place, uh, five and four right now, trying to get into the bye week. I mean, worst case scenario, bye week most likely, as we, I'm sure probably all of us will agree, five and five, still decent shape in this division. It's them and the Eagles probably moving forward. So. Best, still have the best team win over the. It'll be probably over the final six games of the year, which won't be easy for the Giants. It won't be, and they'll have a tough schedule down the stretch. But you know, worst case scenario, like you said, there, Jordan, five and five would be going into the bye if they lose to the Patriots. But that's why I think James, that win was so big against the Bucks because with the Patriots looming now on this coming Sunday, they really couldn't afford to lose to both the Saints and the Bucks heading into that game. Do you agree, James? Totally. I mean, I think even if they get to 5-5 five and five at the bye, everything is going to be completely different. If they had lost yesterday and they lose to the Patriots, as I think the whole world expects, 4-6 and six at the bye, they probably would be all but done in the, in the digital race, You know, especially if the Eagles are going to play, continue to play the way they did on Sunday night against the Cowboys. And I think you know, if you're 4-6 and six at the bye week, it's going to be the whole narrative is going to be about you know where is this franchise going, where is Tom Coughlin going at the end of the season. Um, you know, there's be a lot of unpleasant questions and stark realities they would have to deal with. But now with this win over Tampa, 
even if they get their doors blown off on by the Patriots on Sunday, they're going to go into the bye week still relevant. That's their buzzword in the NFC East Hunt. They are. Yeah, I mean, they'll be relevant. Think, if you think about it, I'm sorry, Joe. If you think about it, you know, they are going to be in the division race heading into that week 17 game minus the collapse. Uh, that That's really what, yes. they, what they did for themselves in this game. Uh, you know, even if they can win, you know, two of the next five, you know, let's say they lose to the Patriots or five and five. Even if they win two of their next, if they go two and three over the next five games, the likelihood is that that week 17 game is still going to mean plenty. The Eagles aren't just going to roll through this division. The Eagles are, the Eagles are still, what, where are the Eagles right now? They're 500? Four and four? Yeah. Yep. Four, four and four. four. They're, still, they're four and four. They're not. They're not in position, in my opinion, that they're going to run off three or four or five straight wins. I really don't think they're that good. So this division is going to hang around. If you're even near 500 going into that week 17 game, there's a strong likelihood that they'll still have a chance. Definitely, I couldn't agree more with that, Jordan. And as we're recording this podcast, we're doing this on a Monday afternoon. Word just broke that it seems like Jordan Hicks, the young linebacker rookie for the Eagles, that seems to make plays every week for them and. You know, almost won the game single-handedly for them on Sunday night against the Cowboys. He's going to be out for the season now. So they just lost a big piece of their team. So I agree. The NFC East, the Giants are going to be there all year. And a big reason why that they're going to stay in this thing, if they do, uh, is what they get from Jason Pierre-Paul. Let's spend a few minutes, guys, on his return. You were there live in Tampa to watch his debut. Uh, and I think a lot of Giants fans may be heading into the week, as last week progressed, said, Oh, he'll play a little bit, but he played more than a little bit. Played about 75 or so percent of the snaps. I, From my perspective, I thought he played well. I thought he had an impact almost right away. I thought that first drive where he basically changed the direction of the running back by playing the run really well and the, the Bucks didn't get anything off of the Giants' turnover uh, besides a field goal there. I, I thought his impact was there from the start. How about you guys? Jordan, we'll start with you on this one. Your thoughts on JPP's first game back? It was solid. I mean, it wasn't dominant. There was a lot, there was a lull of inactivity, sort of. You know, he was on the field, but not really doing anything for pretty a pretty long stretch there, between maybe pretty much most of the second and third quarters. I don't think we saw much out of him. But as the game went along, those last the fourth quarter, we saw more and more from him in regards to pressures, which is really what this team needs. Well, I, and Joe, you mentioned the playing time. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm stunned by, you know, 46 snaps or whatever, 43 snaps, whatever the final number was, uh, 73% of the, of the playing time defensively. That's just a huge number. And it goes to show you how badly they felt they needed him out on that field. Like, they were willing to throw a guy who is essentially playing with a club in one hand because if you think about it, he has a huge mitten. He has no functionality in four of those fingers, basically. Uh, the thumb, I, I didn't get the feel of his cast, but I'm pretty sure the thumb was probably on the harder side. So he's basically playing with a mitten on his hand, which which was almost the equivalent of a club. And they're going to throw him out there that much. It shows you how much they needed anything. Even like 70% of Jason Pierre-Paul, which is, I think, probably what we got. No, definitely, Jordan. I, I agree. You know, the, the thing that stood out to me was that they didn't have a sack for, I think, the second straight week. but they were actually making Jameis Winston move in the pocket and make throws he didn't want to do, especially at the end where JPP had that big surge in the fourth quarter. And I think that, look, we've talked about so many times about this defense. 
they just have to make little baby steps and improvements and more or less just not have a debacle like they had in New Orleans. And if he can consistently move the pocket and give the quarterback a little bit of heat, that's more than they've had all season long, and that really could be a major difference maker for this defense. But they need other guys to, yes. you know, a pass rush. The pass rush isn't just one guy. You know, like when JPP pushed the pressure out to the other side, you know, that's opportunities for other guys to get sacks. And it, it just wasn't there. Like, okay, so he's yeah. coming on one side, but, you know, there's nobody else there. That's sort of what the Giants' pass rush has been all year. It's, it's like one guy at a time because there's just not enough consistent pressure. You need two or three guys getting near the quarterback on certain plays. One guy flushes him, the other guy gets a sack. That's sort of how it works in, in football and in, in this league. And you look at no, the Denver I, Broncos, I mean, there's five guys in the backfield. I agree with you. And and I, my big thing, I know we've talked about this, is that, okay, you have JPP, you know, Robert Ayers, he's got to be healthy, but, you know, he's a guy who's had some success moving off the edge a little bit this year. And, listen, I know he had another personal foul. It was kind of a 50-50 personal foul, but they got to put them on. I didn't think it was a personal more. foul. I, that's why, I mean, I, do I think it should have been th- – the flag should have been thrown? No, but, you know, X-Book, maybe it was a foul. But they, they've got to get him on the field more, especially – well, I'll call it the Patriots in a little while. But, I mean, they have no chance on Sunday unless they can get Tom Brady a little bit of heat. And I, I just think this might be a game where they just have to throw caution to the wind and put more out there for 30, 40 snaps and just see what, see what he can do. If he gets a penalty, yeah. so be it. I'd love to see Demontre Moore on one side, JPP on the other side, Robert Ayers rushing from the interior, which he did pretty well last year. And then, you know, Colin Jenkins is a pretty good pass rusher from the interior. Then I think you might have like a little, a little, good little foursome right there that can actually get to the quarterback maybe with some consistency. But it would help. it'll help as we go along here as JPP gets healthier and JPP sort yes. of gets up to speed more in football, football shape because – Look, he might be in great shape, and as some guys even mentioned, he's fresher than them because they're already eight games into the season. They're banged up. They all yes. feel bruises. I mean, Devon Kennard after the game, I mean, when guys stand up after the game, like from sitting on a – he's just sitting on a stool getting dressed and they get up, it looks like an 80-year-old man getting up. Like, that's how sore these guys are. And JPP isn't like that at this point. So he's fresh. He's been working out. And uh, some of the guys actually said he's probably in better shape than them in regards to that. But football shape's a little different. He still has to take hits. Now he has to wake up on Monday morning, and his body, you know, and his body has to sort of recover from taking those hits and his hands. So we'll see how that that works out. I think the major question now for Giants fans is going to be how much impact can JPP have individually the rest of the season and then, you know, on this defense as a whole, whether it be making other guys better, taking up attention. So those other guys you guys were mentioning, the Demontre Moores, the heirs can get to the quarterback. So we'll play a little fact or fiction here with the rest of JPP season. But before we do that, I want to ask this question first, based on what you said a few minutes ago, Jordan. You said you thought maybe we saw JPP at around 70% on Sunday against Tampa. When you said that, the first thing I thought of was, how much higher can he go just based on what he's dealing with now, right? Like, this isn't a hamstring, or which will heal itself tomorrow. So was what we saw yesterday really what he is now, what he can do until he learns how to play with this? How much better do you think he can play the rest of this year as he gets his 
you know, feet back under him and learns how to play with what he's dealing with. I think we're all in agreement. hundred percent unattainable. I mean, you guys agree with that? I don't, I don't think a hundred percent is going to be possible uh, no. this year, maybe ever. No, yeah, I, I mean, I, don't think I, I would, I, I would agree with that. At least a hundred percent of the old JPP, maybe he'll become a different, you know, a little bit different of a player, but I don't think we'll ever see that old one because he just isn't 100% literally. Yeah, he'll set a new, there'll be a new standard, a new 100% for JPP, but it'll be a different 100% probably than before because he's just not going to have full function of that hand. I mean, you look at it, you see it, you see what's there, and there's no way he's going to be able to have full function of that hand. So, and I also think, I saw times where I think, you know, 80, 85% is this sort of the max out this year. That's my estimation. James, what do you got? You know, one of the things I noticed, and by no means do I, do I think he took plays off, but there were a lot of snaps in the game where if his first move didn't really get, if he didn't really beat the tackle on his first move, then he was kind of just out there on the, on the island, you know, playing you know, patty cake a little bit. Uh, I think that's one thing that he can improve upon, potentially. He might get to a point in a week, two weeks, where, okay, his first move doesn't work on the tackle, but he can, you know, regroup and come back with another move and potentially rush the passer. You know, and that was the one thing I noticed that, you know, a couple times he'd go, move wouldn't work, he, he, it would get stuffed, and that was kind of the end of his rush. Um, I think I I I saw something like that too, James. And I think it was also other times on running plays. The key wasn't about to jump in there at the end of running plays and like sort of jump on top of a pile or get that late hit in there. He's it's sort of like a running back trying to save up the number of hits maybe you could take, yeah, and that your hand can maybe absorb. No, I agree. So I mean, there also was a play. I I, there also was a play I saw in there where I think JPP was in pursuit and. Uh, it was weird because, you know, we're used to him in pursuit, try, you know, grabbing a guy from behind and tackling him. And he did one of those. It was almost like a defensive back tackle where he just threw his shoulder into a guy. And it worked. The, you know, yeah, the guy went down. And that's right. It wasn't that's a missed right. tackle. But I noticed that, too, that he didn't, you know, tackle it with his arms the way he used to. It was like a chest bump. Chest bump right. tackle. No, I, and I, I know I, or I didn't say that com. I had the piece where I talked to NFL Network's uh, Akbar Tabaji Fiamil about how he thought he would do as a former pass rusher. And, you know, I think it was clear what he said was that, you know, JPP is going to have to develop an entirely new coordination for his body. And I don't know if a lot of people know this, but on the first defensive snap of the game, he put the mitten on the ground in his three-point stance. And it was almost like he put it down and realized, oh, wait a minute, I might not really necessarily be able to put that hand on the ground anymore. And from there on out, he was putting his left hand on the ground. So I think that was probably like a muscle a memory of, thing. Uh, yeah, exactly. It, he's he was going out there, and you know, uh, Fiamil says, "You get out there, and you just you've been playing football your whole life, and oh, I'm on this side. I put this hand down. You can't do that anymore." So I think that'll improve. Uh, but p- positioning on tackling is going to be key because you know you can't go arm tackle anymore because there's nothing at the end of that arm to, to give him a little grab. A running back is going to run through that. I think after watching him, the thing I can tell is he's not going to be as good a run run defender as he was before. He's not able to tackle the same way. He's not able to use his head and shed blockers the same way that he was before. So I think that's probably actually where he's going to be hurt the most. 
All right, moving forward with JPP, for the rest of this Giants season, we have some factor fiction here on what you guys think and what we all think he can do and how much he can help this Giants defense. So let's start here, because I think after watching how much he played on Sunday in Tampa, there's probably a new heightened sense of, wow, he's, you know, he's pretty much a full-time player now, not a part-time player the way I think a lot of fans expected him to be. So let's go with this one first. We'll go to Jordan and then James on each of these. Um, to answer factor fiction. Factor fiction, Jordan. JPP will play 90% of the snaps on Sunday versus the Patriots. Fiction. I still think they're going to have to sub him, sub him in and out a little bit more. He's not going to be able to play quite that much. And maybe he's not quite as good against the run. They're going to decide, okay, why don't we use George Selby kind of on some running downs and uh, just so we could save JPP and use him and try and maximize him as a pass rusher. I think that's probably the best way to go for them. So 80, 80%, not 90%. I'll say fiction as well. I think that Jordan's right. Probably 70, 75, 80% is the place. I mean, everything is the Patriots, you have no idea what they're going to do. I mean, they might yeah, show up true. on Sunday and decide they're going to run the ball 50 times. Well, I don't think they will because Deion Lewis is now out for the season. But you know, the Patriots could just come up with some crazy game plan and that basically takes JPP out of the equation. Or they could throw the ball on every down, and JPP ends up being in the game the whole time. You never know. It's a good point. They could That's go no huddle and, no. and leave him on the, and make him stay on the field. You ne- like you said, James, you never know what the Patriots are going to do out there. Yeah, there is, there is no rundown for the Patriots. They'll do whatever they want, whenever they want. All right, number two here. JPP and the Giants will finish in the top half of points allowed on defense around the NFL by the end of the year. Now, for some context on that, right now they're giving up 25.1 points a game, and that's obviously with a a really bad one sprinkled in in New Orleans, but that's where the Giants are right now. 25.1 a game, that ranks 19th. Will the Giants, by the end of the year, finish in the top half of scoring defense? Jordan? Bottom half. They got a tougher schedule coming up. They're playing some decent teams, including the Patriots. Uh, then we'll have the Redskins, and then they'll have the Vikings later on in the year pretty good. The Eagles pretty good. The Panthers good. in there, the Jets. The Panthers, the, Je- uh, the Jets, and the Dolphins. So there's no real gimmies anymore. Uh, I mean, the only maybe easy game, the really easy game that they could have are either Washington, depending on whether they fall apart, and the Dolphins, whether they just completely fall off a cliff, which is possible. So I'm going to say under, or what, what is it? It's factor fiction. 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 Say fiction. 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 I'm going to say fact, and here's why. While I agree with Jordan that the remaining schedule is not easy by any stretch of the imagination, I think the Giants have the the highest opponent's winning percentage left of any team in the NFC East by a pretty good margin. After you get past the Patriots, who can score 50 points, 50 points, whatever they want pretty much, Redskins, Jets, Dolphins, Panthers, Vikings, Eagles, teams with good offenses but not necessarily explosive offenses. So the Giants could go out there and lose a game to the Vikings, you know, 19-16 to 16 for, you know, out there in the cold. You know, the Dolphins are not necessarily going to score 35 points. So I, I will say there's a ch- – I think they will finish in the top half. They're 19th. They just got to climb, what, four more spots. Because while they're facing some good offenses, they're facing offenses that are kind of grinded out, and they're not necessarily going to put up as many points as some other teams would. Yeah, right. There's a lot of those are a lot of running offenses. Actually, some of those teams they have big running backs, they have big running power running offense. 
The only thing is, I mean, I had to amend. The reason is that I say that is because I don't think they can sustain the turnover ratio that they're getting right now. And the, yes, the frequency of turnovers that they're forcing is, I'm not sure if that's realistic to keep that up. Over no, I, I agree with you. I mean, I know Tom Coughlin said that you can coach and stress turnovers, but to be plus 12 is pretty rare in this day and age. And, you know, turnovers are one of those things where you, know, you can be plus 12 one, you know, first half of the season. You can be, you know, minus four in the second half. I mean, when you're relying on turnovers to be competitive, it can be a great thing if it lasts the whole year. But if it goes away, man, you're in trouble. Yeah, what happens if they even play even? What happens when they play even? When they don't, you know, don't or they go zero, zero to one. You know, where where do they stand then? I think they can be in trouble. No, I agree. Yeah, they need they need those turnovers. I mean, they do, and they they feel like every week they're game changers for them. I know in New Orleans a couple weeks ago they ultimately lose the game, but when they had that big play in the fourth quarter there, you felt like here we go. That's the play to win the game. It seems like they make one of those almost every week, and. You know, who knows how long they keep that up, but it does feel like it's a part of their formula to win. Yeah, they also put voodoo on Mike Devins' hands or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I've never seen they anything did, like that. Yeah, they did something. The guy, the guy finished with 150 <laughs> yards, but dropped, well, dropped. I mean, I counted five, and I've seen even people say he dropped six, which is just an incredible number. Well, I mean, we have seen, in terms of a receiver dropping the ball constantly, we we have seen that before. Um, that's true. You know, that's not, true. Not 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 at Mike like not at Mike Evans level where the guy also has 150 yards receiving, but you know we we have seen some pretty uh, prolific frequent drops. You know, if we want to go back to weeks one and two. Yeah, that's only because Eli wouldn't throw up Preston Parker more than five times a game. So I mean, he true. couldn't drop more than five passes in a game. It's amazing how far this season has come that Preston Parker feels like a long time ago, but I guess it wasn't that long ago. It really does. (laughs) I know. It feels like, oh, man. Remember that Preston Parker fellow? Oh, yeah, I remember that guy. When everyone was screaming and yelling about that. All right, number three in our factor fiction here. JPP, factor fiction, Jordan, will lead the Giants in sacks when this season ends. Right now, Demontre Moore... I believe, leads the team with three sacks. So it's not exactly a command lead, even though JPP has zero to start this thing off. Will JPP lead the Giants at sacks? Fact or fiction? Wow. I'm going to go with fiction. I mean, I do think he could top out at four or five, and it might even give him a chance. But I'm going to say DeMontre ends up, could, it could end up with like five or six, so could Ayers or some, somebody. I mean, I can't see. JPP, I think, is max is about that five range. You know, you're talking almost one a game. If he goes five, if he gets five, they don't, you know they have uh, they they've got uh, seven games left. That's five and seven games. I think that's a pretty good clip in the NFL. Uh, so that's probably being pretty generous. So yeah, I'm gonna say somebody on this team is gonna top five. I guess I go with the monster, but barely. Geez, the fact that I could even think about that is kind of disturbing. So again, fiction. I will also say fiction. Um... I just think three-sack lead, even though DeMontre doesn't necessarily get a whole heck of a lot of snaps, that's just a lot for JPP to overcome. And, you know, as Jordan said, if Robert Ayers can, can you know, string together you know, a couple games on the field, he could also push that number as well. So I'll say fiction. Yeah, and I guess, with, JP, five, I guess with JPP out there, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy to think of it in that context. But I guess with JPP out there, too, to go with fiction – 
um, with you guys on this. He'll help Demontre Moore, you would think, get some sacks, right? Like if he starts playing well and causes more attention to his side, that can only help Demontre Moore, uh, you know, in the context of this question. Yes, I mean, actually, uh, he after the game, GFC was asked, you know, was there a moment on the field where you felt like, oh, I'm off back? And he said, yeah, it was when I got double teamed or triple teamed. I mean, the fact is that JPP on day one was getting double teamed by the Bucks means that at least until he, unless he's proven to be completely ineffective, and, and last night was just a flash in the pan, he's a guy who offenses are gonna, going to respect him you know, just out of the fact that he is who he is. And I think and there's no one else to respect. To, there's, no, and it's, there's no one else to, to really be concerned about. So I think that could help as well. Yeah, not respect. I mean, they respect some of the guys, but, you know, no one else out there scares them. Here's, here's, here's a crazy thing. I, I give you over, under, Giants leader in the sacks for this season at five and a half. Are you, is somebody going to finish with more than five and a half sacks on this team? They got nine in. Uh, they got nine in nine games right now. Nine in nine games. Uh, no, I would take the under on that. <laughs> you're taking the under. So you're saying the leading sacker on an NFL team is going to have five sacks? Unbelievable. And this team might win the NFC East. That might be more amazing than anything else. <laughs> yeah, if you think about that, that's like incomprehensible. I mean, that is just so absurd in today's NFL with the way the game is played. I mean. That and to win the division with a guy who leads the team in five sacks, mind-boggling, really. It is. All right, we'll go to number four on fact and fiction here. JPP will earn at least $4 million in incentives this year. Now, you guys have reported we know his contract is chock-full, these incentives for playing time, for sacks, as we're talking about. Uh, Jordan, over, under, I guess, fact or fiction we're going with. So it's a fa- I'll, give it, I'll say it this way. JP people will earn over $4 million incentives. Fact or fiction? Well, it's all dependent on whether he stays healthy and can play. That, that per-game roster bonus is where he can collect a decent amount of money. Pretty much like one, $1.5 million. So, uh, yeah, that, so you get a good chunk of the playing time percentage money because, look, he played 73% in his first game back. I assume he could even hit that 80 mark that, that collects him another, you know, each time he hits 80%, he'll be collecting more money. Uh, the sack bonus is where he's never going to come close to recouping uh, all of that. You know, like he needed 10 sacks to basically get all his money. Is Let's be realistic. There's zero 0% chance he's getting 10 sacks. The Giants, by the way, they had nine sacks as a team. Remember that. Nine sacks in nine games, and we're going to say JPP is going to get ten sacks in eight or now seven. So no chance. So it's going to be close to that number, but because I think the sack total is probably going to be pretty low because he doesn't have that much help out there, I'm going to go with slightly under that $4 million mark. Yeah, what the heck. Let's be contrarian. I'll go with – Slightly over that mark. I just, I, I think he'll stay healthy mainly because I think the Giants will go out of their way to make sure he stays healthy. Um, because look, if they don't have him, then you know I, I wrote this is he is the last bullet in their chamber because trading deadlines passed. You're not getting a pass rusher and off you know off the scrap heap. Um, this is what they've got, and, and they've got to make sure he's he's the last best shot whether they want to come out and say that publicly or not. 
they got to get him to the finish line. So I think he will get over that number just strictly because they're going to do everything they can to make sure that he gets those roster bonus checks. Yeah, that's why they threw him out there so much because they know that this is their chance. This is their, you know, what's the downside, you know, at this point? Let's see what we got. We need this guy that bad. All right, our final fact and fiction with JPP's return here and the impact he can have on this giant defense as we move forward. Fact or fiction, the return of Prince Mukamura whenever he does get back on the field and JPP together is enough to propel the Giants to having a good enough defense to make the postseason. Jordan? Oh, wow. I got to pick whether they can win the division right now. Like are those are those two together good enough to make this defense competent yeah, enough to get yeah. them there? You know my problem, my my concern with Prince is that he, you know, he has a slight tear in his pec. He's not something that's going to be go away, and he's going to be completely 100. percent He was out there last week with a harness on, and you could kind of tell his shoulders were not like one one side was hanging lower than the other. But he is obviously, if he gets on the field, and even if Prince would be 50%, I figure he's an upgrade from J. Ron Hosley. Uh, but he'll be greater than that, even if he's able to play. So uh, they're definitely defense would be better. I don't. Today, I, I would say I think the Eagles are the better team and they probably win the division. But I, I'm not sold on that. I'm, I'm, I'm waffling back and forth. Uh, but yeah. I'm going to say fiction then. I did all fiction. Jeez, not positive today. No positive, Jordan, today. What happened to you, man? Um, I will was, say they fact. They're off a victory, too. Come on. I know. I will say fact for two reasons. One, I don't like, listen, just having J, like JPP as it was yesterday and 65 to 80% Prince. That's not that alone is not enough to potentially win the division. But I think that those, if you have those two assets, then you know obviously with Prince secondary gets a little bit better. You know, listen, I think the fact of the matter is that Trevin Wade, Jaron Hosley, Tremaine McBride have had a had a very rough day in New Orleans, a better day in Tampa. But look, those are not guys that were brought in here to be starting cornerbacks or to play some snaps. And all three of them have had moments, you know, in their reserve roles where they've made plays and shined. So I think it's going to put those guys back in a position where they are in a better spot to succeed. And I think JPP is going to give the Giants a little, I mean, something in the pass rush. Um, but overall, I don't know if the, I don't think the Giants' divisional hopes are totally on the defense. I think that if the defense can be semi-competent and force turnovers, which, as we said, is not a guarantee, then they're going to be in a position. I think it's really going to end up being what the offense can do. Can they, two weeks in a row now, they've been pretty good in the red zone. Can they keep that going? You know, can they start scoring touchdowns? Can Eli be consistent? He was unbelievable in New Orleans. Not so good in Tampa. Um, you know, can the running game, you know, which is kind of finding its footing, can that keep going? I think that's the bigger thing. But in my rambling roundabout way, I will say fact, those two guys back, if they're healthy, make the defense, put the defense in a position to be much better. All right, my thing quick... is, I agree the defense is better, but my thing was that I'm not so sure with the division. You said the Eagles have an easier schedule. The Giants have a tougher schedule. Yeah. 
that I think that in the end might play a huge role in who finishes the top of the NFC East. Oh, I agree with that. I, I just meant I think that not even talking about the Eagles for a second, this Giants team I think can beat it to the end. And then, you know, whatever happens in Week 17 happens in Week 17. And it does feel like Week 17 is where this thing's going to be decided. There's a lot of, a lot of time before them. But it just, you get the feeling, the way the Cowboys seemingly, I mean, that's, that was a very difficult loss for them on Sunday night. Hard to recover from six straight losses. No team that's ever been two and six has made the playoffs. And the Redskins, you know, I just can't take them seriously to come back and do anything here. It just feels like this thing is, is going to careen itself towards Giants, Eagles, Week 17 in a winner-take-all game. Do you guys get that sense right now? I know there's a lot of football between now and then and injuries and all that, but do you get the sense that we are heading toward that type of reality? 100% for me. I would say 95% for me, just because... You like the Redskins. No, no, no. (laughs) The Redskins, um, listen... Well, you are Redskins fan. What a big, what a big Redskins fan we have on this podcast. No, James no. is about as big a Redskins supporter outside of DC that you could find. He's no. a, he's a Kirk Cousins guy, classic Kirk Cousins. I'm telling you, James. Who was your favorite uh, Joe Gibbs quarterback? Was it Doug Williams or was it Mark? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Todd Collins, I thought was a guy. No. <laughs> Look, my thing about the Redskins is that. They're, they're not good, but they're not horrible. They're capable of playing well and beating you. And, look, the Giants have to go to Washington. The Cowboys have to go to Washington. Uh, the Eagles still have to play the Redskins, although I'm sure the Eagles will probably win by 30 points in the rematch. But the reason why I say 95% for the Week 17 thing is look, Cowboys are 2 and six, pretty much done. But they play the Buccaneers this coming Sunday. They beat the Bucks, then they're at the Dolphins. Tony Romo's back. Then all of a sudden they're four and six, and they have a tough remaining schedule. They got you know Carolina, they got Green Bay. They've also got the Redskins twice, the Jets, and the Bills. So could could Tony Romo come back and this team catches fire and they get to nine wins in two and six? I I think it's possible. It's not likely, but. You know, or could they get to eight and eight, and, and the Giants and the Eagles both stumble along the way? Yes. So I will put a five percent chance that the Cowboys can get themselves back in the divisional race. But for the most part, I think we're looking at Week 17 in MetLife to decide this thing. And if we are, that'd be great. It would be a division title game. Yeah. Um, it would be the NFL would love that too. And the NJ.com Bowl. It would. Everyone, we'd all be there. Everyone would be there from NJ.com. And uh, that's why that game on Sunday night between Dallas and Philadelphia was, was so intriguing, I think, to watch from a Giants fan's perspective. And so many of our listeners probably watched that game with increased interest because it was one of those games where the winner obviously is standing. The losers was in some trouble. And the way it worked out was the Eagles are very much feeling good about themselves now. And Bradford played pretty well and very well in the second half. But the Cowboys now, I mean, James, you just kind of illustrated why they're not quite 100% buried yet. I think they are. Jordan, where do you stand on the Cowboys? Do you think it's 2-6? I'm buried. I'm buried. Yeah, yeah, you and I, I think, are on the same page there. Look, I I think they could go on a run, but, like, your guy doesn't just come off after sitting on the the bench for seven weeks, and then you're not going to come off and rip off six or seven straight wins with him. And the team is not that good around him where they're, you know, 
they're all of a sudden the uh, 85 Bears or, or something like that. You know, like they're not just a great team. They're good, but you know they have a tough schedule. They're not just going to go roll everyone the second he comes back. I think that's unrealistic. And they're going to lose some games along the way. I mean, they they, they have to go six and two right now, just to get the five hundred, just to get to eight. Six and two. I don't even know if they can do six and two. So yeah, I, I think they're buried. There's there's no room for error for them. I'm with you, and they're the way they play this coming week. Is James was saying going to go a long way? Then maybe Romo back. Uh, the week after against the Dolphins. All right, one quick thing here before we get to a little preview of the Patriots game, which will be a major national game, and uh, all that history will be drummed up between the Giants and Patriots and undefeated and all that fun stuff. But we'll preview that game in a second. But I do want to ask you both about something that I heard during the broadcast yesterday. You guys were at the game. Not sure if you've had a chance to watch the TV broadcast or anything like that. But uh, on the, during the game on Fox, they were talking a little bit about the Giants' fourth quarter woes and how you know they had led in three of their four losses this year in the fourth quarter. Uh, they went to the Saints game last week, and they went back, obviously, to the beginning of the season when it was a big story in Dallas and in Atlanta. Now, they held on yesterday. They played well, I thought, late in that game to, to hold the ball and, and to run the clock down in that last drive um, on offense before they kicked the field goal. I thought the offensive line did a good job there. Do you guys think we're past that now, or is that still a storyline of the 2015 Giants that finishing uh, is a challenge for them? Do you guys still think that we have to think about that every time they have a lead in the fourth quarter, or were those first two games kind of their own thing? James, we'll start with you on this one. I I think it's a thing um, just because they're a team that, while they've closed out some games in the fourth quarter, they really haven't had, like, what I would say, quote-unquote, perfect finish um you look at yesterday offense gets the ball they run the clock down they kick the field goal but they, they couldn't get to zero 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 which i was talking to rashad james in the locker room afterwards he said look we did well but that's in the ideal world we have the ball and it's zero and it's over um obviously the bucks were not going to really have much chance of now to come back but you know the giants did have to give them the ball back only up by a single score um I think it's a thing, but you know, at the end of the day, the Giants just—they have to—they have to be mindful of that and understand that that's going to be part of the the narrative of this team going forward until they really knock the door down and and complete a game to the fullest extent. People are going to talk about that. I certainly think it's going to be something you have to worry about because you look at the construction of the team and how they're built. They're not a power running game where they're just going to pound the ball down someone's throat to run out the clock very often. They did, almost did it yesterday, and they did a pretty good job, I think. I mean, I, I, I know there was some time left, but I thought it was a good job of finishing out. But then I, the bigger problem is on the flip side, they're not good on the back end of the secondary. It's not a great secondary. They give up passing yards, and they have no pass rush. So when your team gets even you know, worn down at the end, your pass rush usually decreases, and every good quarterback they face, those three losses that we're talking about were the, the, the really good, the three best quarterbacks they faced. They just drove down the field anytime they wanted at the end of the game. So I think that is definitely something they're going to have to be concerned about. And it might rear its ugly head because of the way the team is constructed right now. Those are not the strengths of the team. So the strength of the team is probably their passing offense with Eli and Odell Beckham, uh, their ability to stop the run. So, you know, I think these are things that actually – don't actually factor in as much late in games. So that's why they're, they're susceptible to, to uh, 
you know, being beaten late in games because that's not what they're built to be. They're not essentially not built to be that to, to play that way. And they're probably not built to beat the New England Patriots, but that's what they're going to try to do on Sunday. Let's talk a little about this game. Is anybody? I don't know if anybody is. Not the way the Patriots have played. Uh, though I saw this, and I, I thought it was just ironic. I'm sure we're going to see more of the, these type of stats and numbers over the course of this week as we head into the game. So the Patriots have had three different 10-plus game winning streaks since 2007. The Giants ended the first two, obviously. Uh, 07, we know, was the Super Bowl year. Uh, did it again in 2011, uh, where they had they, they were reeling off 10 in a row at that point. Um now they have a chance to do it again. 10-plus game winning streak. The Patriots are undefeated at this point in the season. All right. Each of you, give me a reason why they have no chance. And then give me, concoct a scenario for me that this is a game in the fourth quarter. Who's going right, first? I'll go first. I'll go first. All right. there. Jordan's already on this. Why they have no chance is because their defense is just not very good. They came into this week 32nd in the league. And if they moved up a drop, I don't think they did. I still think they're probably still 32nd. It's only because Mike Evans dropped seven, six passes. But that is, I mean, look, it's no shame in the fact that Tom Brady and the Patriots offense is going to shred you apart because they pretty much do have done it to everybody this year, and they'll do it to pretty much everyone they play this year. So the Giants are just going to be another one in that line, and they really don't have a chance. But. I'm going to concoct a scenario where all of a sudden the Giants do have a chance, right? The Patriots are banged up. Their offensive line is banged up. They lost their running back. Deion Lewis is out for the year. They are out of sorts just enough where the offense struggles a little bit. Maybe it's not the nicest day in the world at MetLife Stadium. You know, it's not 70 degrees and sunny, and maybe there's some wind. And the Patriots aren't able to sling the ball around the yard maybe as, as well as they'd like. They're having trouble a little bit protecting Tom Brady because that offensive line, they're shifting guys all over the place. And it's certainly not as good as it's been the whole entire season. And the running game all of a sudden isn't as dominant. And the Giants, their offense is pretty good. They can put up some points. They put up some points. They keep with Tom Brady for a little while. You get to the fourth quarter, and it's Eli versus Tom Brady in the fourth quarter. And uh, who do you got there in one of these tight, close games? And it's obviously a big game for the Giants. I know he led them pretty well in these spots before. So there you go. Maybe the Giants pull out that victory. How convincing was that? Any good? Pretty good. I was, I was kind of into. I, I was kind of into the way they're in this game. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see it. Go ahead, James. All right. So the reason why they have absolutely no chance. His name's Rob Gronkowski. Um, look. <laughs> We saw what Ben Watson did to this team um, <laughs> in New Orleans two weeks ago. Uh, I, I think half the country was like, oh, Ben Watson's still in the NFL. Good for him. Uh, and look, <laughs> like Landon Collins and Brandon Merriweather, I, you know, obviously Landon Collins is a rookie. I think he's going to be a good player, but he's been tough in coverage. Merriweather, I think, is giving the Giants way more than anyone thought he was when he showed up in training camp that day. Um, but they just really – have or susceptible to tight ends, and you know who knows if Juan Younga. I mean, Jasper who's had really well at middle linebacker, but who knows if Unga, who's handling a lot of the nickel packages, will be in. I mean, if the Patriots, and I know the Patriots are kind of you know they're conservative with how they use Gronk because obviously they got to get Gronk to the finish line, but hey, he could just do an amazing amount of damage on Sunday. Um, 
So that's the reason why I, I just don't think they have a chance to add up all the other things. But, all right, for the Giants to be in the game on Sunday and win, I think they have to, first, they have to defer the toss. They need to win the toss and defer um, the second half. And they would have to do one of those, what they did, you know, against Dallas, you know, have that situation where they score right before the end of the first half and come right back and score the second half. Um, they've got to force at least two turnovers, which is not easy. Um, they can't turn the ball over at all, which, again, not easy. And I think they have to establish a running game that can keep the Patriots off the field. And the last thing is they've got to come with a big play on special teams. I don't know if it's fake, it's surprise onside kick, it's Brad Wing getting off a 65-yard punt and flipping the field. Yeah, they've got a return by Dwayne Harris. They've got to make a major impact play on special teams. So if they get all those things, if they play the perfect <laughs> game, they can be in it. Oh, wait, look, we did it. We came up with a scenario. The one thing I'll throw in there to add to both of yours is um, I think Odell Beckham Jr. has played very well this year. Obviously, every time you look up, he's, he's changing the record books now fastest, 150 catches, all that kind of stuff. I think for them to have a chance in this game – He's going to have to have one of those games where he has a really big game. This week, the game plan, I felt like, uh, had him settle down more in the zone. I thought he made a lot of tough catches against the Bucks. But I get the sense if they're going to be in this in the fourth quarter, Beckham made big plays to kind of match what the Patriots did. It's possible. I mean, that guy's pretty good. He's really good. Uh, I assume that the Patriots are going to put a lot of attention towards stopping Odell Beckham. Sort of a Bill Belichick likes to do. I will say one thing. Odell Beckham, 17 targets against the Bucks, And I believe 11 of them came in the second half. So, for the first time in eight weeks, the Giants went to Odell more in the second half than the first half. Um, They've they got to do that again on Sunday. Um, maybe even more targets, if you can even believe that. So, you think Tom Coughlin finally listened to the podcast? Field. Of course he did. I mean, what else is he? What else is he doing on Monday or Tuesday afternoons when the Giants are going to practice? Exactly. This is this is his new thing now. So he's listening, and uh, and they're they're throwing that ball to Beckham uh, more. Guys, this was a fun one. Uh, glad to be back after a couple weeks off, and a big game this week against the Patriots. So uh, we'll reconvene and kind of look at the Giants after the bye. But five and four right now. Good win over the Bucks. JPP back, and uh, now they move on to uh, what should be a fun one against the Pats. Thanks, Jordan. Uh, thanks for having me, Joe. Still first place Giants. That's really all that matters at this point, right? It absolutely is. Thanks, James. No problem, Joe. And thanks to all of you for listening. This has been episode 31 of Talk is Cheap. I'm Joe Gillio. Follow us, all of us, on Twitter. Uh, tweet the show at Jordan Renan, at James Cratch, at Joe Gillio Sports on iTunes, on Stitchers, how you find us. Uh, leave us a message there and a rating. It uh, helps the show grow and helps us find more Giants fans just like you. This has been Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast on NJ.com.